Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Caleb Williams, which is William Godwin's 1794 anarchist novel. It's a novel and not a screed about a servant hounded all over England by his rich employer. It's also about a cab and how landlords are scum. So, uh, you know, we put it out there right in the front. If you haven't listened to this <laughs> podcast before, that's what we do. <laughs> we do. So, Tristan, why Caleb Williams? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people uh, who aren't big literature and older literature dorks, like at least Katie and I are, they, you know, they think Excuse that- Excuse me. I have read plenty. <laughs> oh, yeah. now we want the 18th century. Okay. you No one wanted the 18th century before. All I heard was, oh, the pants were funny. Oh, everyone smelled like shit. Yeah. And now, oh, we've always loved the 18th century. No, no, no. I'm not saying I love it. I'm saying I want the credit. Okay. Well, yeah. You get sure, sure. Okay, we're we're all we're all 18th century dorks. <laughs> we can at share least the 18th century. I don't want to be a. I don't have to be a dork. I just have to be like a. You know, we're, I have to we're just all, be dragged all, in the wake. Uh, no, for for sure. And, but but so if you if you're not one of us, you might think that the 60s are the hippies' first decade. But actually, I'm here to say it's the 90s, and I mean the 1790s. <laughs> it, it really is, which we'll talk about. Um, and no, in, in like all honesty, I, I love talking about this decade because it really is when you see an explosion of truly recognizably radical texts. Yeah, of the hippie kind of proto Thoreau variety, sure. But also, like, I definitely see how this is leading to Marx and socialism and communism and or or anarchism. And Godwin was like several of those strains uh, all at one time, including the more obnoxious Henry David Thoreau strain. But really? but you know, I mean, like, so this is the era of the Jacobin novel, which Caleb Williams certainly is. It, it might be the most Jacobin novel of all time. <laughs> that is a term, if you're not familiar with it, which is given to British novels written by writers uh, who were super turned by the French Revolution and are also particularly from about 1794 onward writing a bit of sharp reactionary crackdown on dissent in Britain that was occasioned by fear about what was happening in France. So sort of like tying the French Revolution to, to radicalism. I know some comrades might say I'm still doing a bit of anachronism with that. Like they're, they're the same, you know, there is not a line between the French Revolution and, and Marxism like that was still a bourgeois revolution. There is some truth to that, but here's the thing. Caleb Williams is most definitely about class struggle in addition to more standard uh, liberal questions about like the power of the state. And Godwin goes a lot further than even that, but you might find in, I don't know, like fucking Thomas Jefferson or bullshit like that. Uh, like <laughs> Godwin's- <laughs> Laws are bad. Owning people is fine. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, the, laws yeah. are good, but- Yeah. Yeah. The, they're, they're, the problem is the king, but it's it's like slavery is totally cool, according yeah. to TJ. Yeah, that's um, chill. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Laws, especially if you own property. But uh, Godwin's critique of the law is uh, is sort of a foundational line for anarchism, for sure. Um, of course, in his political theory, and I'll talk about how amazingly bonkers his inquiry concerning political justice is in the context portion. But he's doing that very much in Caleb Williams. Plus, he's Mary Shelley's dad and Mary Wollstonecraft's wife guy. So, Stan. <laughs> 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 and the last thing I'll say is this book was still making liberal doofus Anthony Trolla big mad like 70 years later. So double Stan. I can't think of anybody better to piss off, honestly. <laughs> Does it all. So I really am the most heroic member of this podcast because of my patience for reading 18th century novels. 
<laughs> I have slogged through Robinson Crusoe like a champ. And I have to say this, <laughs> even more than Tristram Shandy, which is wonderful, but this may have finally converted me into an 18th centuryist because it is good as fuck. Like yeah, it's, I, it's like gripping. Like yeah. it reads, I had fun reading it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I knew, I knew you specifically were going to like this one. I'm not minimizing the amazingness that is Tristram Shandy. That's, <laughs> it could turn anybody into an 18th century. <laughs> yeah. I had been familiar, obviously, with like the themes of the 18th century novel, like the feckless boobs of Owenson, <laughs> the like annoying, annoyed, begouted antihero of Smollett, the horny everybody of Cleland, mm-hmm. and I don't think I've ever read a novel from 1790s. It's like a thriller. Like it's yeah. a weird, it's weird, but it's kind of a thriller. It is no, totally. and, and I mean this is the Gothic decade for sure. But you're right. There's like a fast pacedness to this that is is very kind of like recognizably like modern thriller kind of thing. Totally. I mean, like that's. Like, it doesn't feel gothic at all. And I might be wrong, but it just feels like a different sort of genre. And mm-hmm. I mean that in a, in a nice way. Like, it owns a lot of genres. And in general, like, I think that's like a cool quality. It's something I, I sign up for. I also kept dog-earing pages because they just blew me away. And there are, like, truly evil villains in this who keep saying, like, amazing villain shit. like yeah the law is only here so i can punish this lady who doesn't want to fuck me by sending her to prison and (laughs) okay i paraphrase but not very much yeah no i mean that that is almost a direct quote for sure but what's important is that the true villain has been here all along that's not true only for like a tiny little period of human history (laughs) but it's the prison industrial complex yeah i've said it Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, and, like, what's so amazing about that is, like, we're not to, like, what Foucault is writing about yet, right? Like, we're not I mean, even to what Bentham is writing about. Everything about this is, it's weird how early this is. Yeah. Like, yes. it's weird how early the characterization is like this, which is which is a huge part of why it, the social message is so compelling. Mm-hmm. Because there is that, like, there are dastardly villains, there's sympathetic hero, and it's, it's not the paper doll uh, shit you'd find in American novels of the same yeah. age. Yeah, for sure. Wheeland farted and died to death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like exploded in it's just like flames <laughs> of farts. It does not feel <laughs> it like it has the... I wasn't cheering at the speeches. <laughs> no. But I was here. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was I, like, I, you tell them. I, I know. <laughs> I know we'll talk about this a bit, but I do just want to like say forget from last season, Wheeland. Yes, Charles Brockton Brown thought he was doing this book. And Katie, I know you have some thoughts about why, but I'm just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway. Okay. A lot going on here, but I first read this in college and I loved it instantaneously. It was a very it was a summer class. It was one of the intro lit classes and it was this long, lonely, awful summer when nobody was in the town I went to college in. So nobody, because once it's not school time, people just jetted. <laughs> and so the, the my first experience of it was just like on an air mattress, loving every second of it and getting very amped. And that's how I felt this time, except not on an air mattress. I'm a full grown adult now. <laughs> and... But you even have a bed frame that elevates it off the floor. Yeah. I do. Yes, 
That's grown up shit. Yeah. yeah, just full on, full on. I have a retirement account and I'm not afraid to use it in <laughs> 75 years. We'll never be allowed to do that. Um, yeah. Retirement but it's not age a is 100. Nobody yeah. has those. <laughs> 900 years old. But no, what I really like about what I really like about Godwin is that he can do this really, really actually good. We live in a society shit. Like, damn, we do live in a society and it's bad. And he's also like the psychology guy. He gets it. He knows that hurt people hurt people. <laughs> yeah. And he knows that there's a cycle of wrongs and and that, you know, that that's what the, that's what ruins innocence and um, that rich people suck shit. He knows exactly what to get mad about. He he gets it. And he also can keep you as absorbed as if you were reading something from the airport, the best-selling airport novel, mm-hmm. but you're full of righteous fury at the failure of the law to be anything close to justice the entire time. I mean, this is like, we. I don't want to go too deep into this, but there's a lot of Native Son here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is. Yeah, no, totally. definitely. Anyway, it's a, this is a very, very long book. I can't stress that enough. There's three volumes. The font's tiny. You pick it up. It's very small. Don't get scared, though, because... William Godwin is so good that he can put he can do lines like what is even the law anyway man and you're not annoyed you're like what no. even is the law though yeah. you know yeah. like it's yeah. just it's good just two two more things that are slightly tangential so one is that what i like also about him is that he understands that people are fucking ding-dongs and annoying and it doesn't mean that you get to victimize them and do bad shit to them like people are allowed to be annoying ding-dongs you're allowed to be a human golden retriever with impulse control issues and you still don't get to be persecuted to the ends of the earth i think we can all agree with that yeah like that i think that like I mean, there are like society as problem novels that are like, you know, the politics are very good, but they're, I, I, you know, it's like, why is this a novel? And I think that <laughs> yeah. like, what yeah. you're, you're absolutely right that like Godwin like marries the capacity of the novel to really do its in- interior psychology thing alongside like the social question. But I think the other thing that you said that it's, that's so, um, frankly radical and anti like lib uh good intentions bullshit is that like yeah it's even though it is very much about like individuals it also like it's like yeah but but it doesn't right right it doesn't matter that this guy's a fucking dumbass golden retriever like (laughs) you just get like prison is fucking bullshit you know like yeah yeah you still yeah. you still can't do that shit to him. Yeah. Uh, no matter what you do that makes a rich dickhead's monocle pop out and their <laughs> pantaloons fall down, <laughs> yeah. you still don't get to do that. Yeah. He, under, he yeah. understood it. We can all agree to that. And also they probably can't do it themselves because they all ate too much butter and made their legs swell up <laughs> violently. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Humphrey, Humphrey Clinker style. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly, yeah. But the-, the Not just showing off. <laughs> you, you're the the 18th century knower. The other way you can read Caleb Williams is that it's just about a guy who caught his boss it just really taking himself to dinner in a movie, and <laughs> and got walked in on by um, possibly his his least intelligent uh, minion. <laughs> And but most and spirited then, though, and, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. and then Jeffrey Tubin had to hunt the uh, CNN uh, interns and call over the world, yep. right? 
Yep. Uh, and everybody knew. Yeah. And everybody knew because yeah. it was on Zoom. No, yeah. it's 17s. <laughs> it's the 17s. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be good though. But uh, today we are talking about how the novel constructs character, especially through Caleb Williams. Obviously, we're talking about the law and class war, machines and mechanization. And we're probably going to have a little moment of like Charles Brockton Brown or the Godwinian novel, something like that. So uh, Tristan, tell us what happens. Okay. In these uh, three lovely volumes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, and I'll, I'll actually spend uh, the least time o- on the two that move the fastest just because it's I mean, there's not all that much to say about a thriller other than you got to read it. It's fun. But interesting detail as I start, apparently Godwin wrote this novel ass backwards. Uh, he he wanted to write an a cab landlord or trash story about how <laughs> the law exists for the sole benefit of the rich and powerful. But then was like, oh, shit, I guess these square ass novel readers are going to want the villain to have a backstory or something. Um, so well, it has to be a novel, huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, but but actually, I do think the fact is what you kind of said that the antagonist can be cast as initially sympathetic or maybe having some kind of good intentions really underscores this uh, systemic points that Caleb Williams is making. So. Uh, so it, it worked out, even though he, he wrote this backwards. Okay, so the novel is written in the first person. It's the voice of Caleb Williams, who is a former servant of Ferdinando Falkland. <laughs> Just, everyone has the best names. It's true. <laughs> that is one Tory-ass name if I ever heard one. But uh, So he's, he's a country squire. And as we've talked about on, for instance, the Joseph Andrews episode and some other uh, episodes on 18th uh, century novels. Uh, so squire in this period means country gentry, not nobility, but like a large scale landowner who also by virtue of being that would have various kind of legal functions like justice of the peace. So so right off the bat, we have a, a connection between the law, you know, very directly and, and wealth. So Williams is recalling the events he narrates from a later point after he has been persecuted by Falkland all over the country. Although we don't know those specifics, uh, here's how William starts. Like This is the very first few sentences of, of the novel. My life has for several years been a theater of calamity. I have been a mark for the vigilance of tyranny, and I could not escape. My fairest prospects have been blasted. My enemy has shown himself inaccessible to entreaties and untired in persecution. My fame as well as my happiness has become his victim. I am incited to the penning of these memoirs only by a desire to divert my mind from the deplorableness of my situation and a faint idea that posterity may by their means be induced to render me a justice my contemporaries refuse. My story will at least appear to have that consistency, which is seldom attendant, but upon the truth. So, I mean, that is pretty, I mean, I, Megan, I agree with you. It doesn't feel like a lot of gothic novels, but that is some pretty goth shit right there at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, my, some e- it's emo. I don't know if that's it is, quite the yeah, yeah, It's emo for sure. Um, my enemy is doing Adderall. They're pursuing me to the ends of the earth. They're everywhere. Yeah. And nowhere all at once. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I also want to note just a few big ideas here, right? Like tyranny, justice, truth, which I think to William Godwin has some very interesting qualities that we'll talk about. And and the novel, <laughs> the novel really kind of stays with those ideas for the next 300 pages. Yeah. Okay, so Williams tells us he was born way off in the English countryside. I, I don't think it's ever specified where exactly, but it's we're far from London and the centers of power. On Falkland's property, uh, and that's how he gets hired as Falkland's servant. So Williams is a smart kid. He he tells us I have some questions about that. He has good self-esteem. 
That's true. <laughs> yes. For a while. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, he thinks he was smart. And, and, and Mr. Collins, who is Falkland's property manager, apparently agrees. Uh, he, he takes a shine to him. And when Williams's dad dies, uh, when Williams is like 18 or so, Falkland wants him to come work for him as a secretary. And, and we're told that Falkland has a reputation for being generous and good hearted. Um, and this quasi adopting of Williams, which he does, like it's sort of talked about in those terms, is sort of a piece of uh, a piece with that. But the other thing to know about Falkland is he's real, real weird. He's super moody, super secretive. You'll be reading the newspaper and you say, man, did you hear about that brutal murder? And he's like, murder? Why are you talking about murder? No murders here. I totally didn't do it. And you're like, okay. Cool. (laughs) No watching investigation discovery with him. Boy. Fucking law law and order would, yeah, they would send him into a panic. And Williams is just like, yeah, what the fuck is this dude's deal? So he asked Collins about it, and Collins gives the long story of Falkland in the years before Williams met him, which is basically the sum of the first volume, and we got about 100 pages of this backstory. So we get the sense that young Falkland was a fancy lad. He does the grand tour. People think he's hot, although he's described as being very – it really leads to that he's a small guy, but he – Yeah. Yeah. Like, the size of a teacup poodle. Yeah. Which I, I – I, well, The novel is very concerned about tall guys and short guys. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. But it, oh, it, it, wait, is this the one where it's like five ten, the perfect height? No, that's. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this one has, I think, a woman who's who's very tall. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about it. But yeah, it, it's weird. It's a, it also has teacup sized women. Yes, it, yes, yes, it does. It does. So okay, so he, but he's hot. He's hot, even if he is on the on the smaller side. Uh, and and we're also told that he quote acquitted himself in the most brilliant manner as a man of gallantry and virtue. But we also get some hints as to what is going to go wrong. Uh, here's another quote: Among the favorite authors of his early years were the heroic poets of Italy. Oh no, Italy across the channel, Catholic. I mean, God, Godwin's not. Godwin Godwin's not doing Catholic panic. But you know, we're here. We're we're. This is another overlap, perhaps, with uh, some Gothic texts. From them, he imbibed the love of chivalry and romance, which, of course aristocratic ideas and radical William Godwin correctly thought uh, those were absolute bullshit. While Falkland's supposedly cool about his love of chivalry and romance, like he doesn't cosplay too hard, I guess for the very first pages of Falkland's story, we were told again and again that he was super into this medieval or aristocratic concept of honor. And that he also loves his fame, which I have to say is, is actually more modern than the honor thing is. And we can, yeah, I mean, that might be something that we can get into. Reputation is like a huge thing. Yes. In this book. Yeah, it is. And, and re- so rep- I don't know. I, I mean, in some ways you could maybe even think of like reputation as like the more modern connotation of like honor uh, because it just circulates more wide. It has like a wider sort of social net, but both of those things, he really, you know, he doesn't want people to think, you know, that he's uh, that he's he's a wuss or that he won't, you know, that he won't fight and, and, and shit like that. Or that he doesn't put out. Or that he doesn't yeah. put out. Yeah, he's yeah, exactly. That he's <laughs> don't take the fact that he's not that tall, make you think other <laughs> other things yeah. about him. Is so this these things oh, I'm sorry, Tristan. Oh, no, no, I, yeah. Go ahead. Or are you gonna say I no, I just I just I mean he's yeah, he's got a big penis, is I think the, the, the implication. Oh, uh, like, short yeah. guy, big dick, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He's a short guy. Although the the energy is very um he doesn't 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 fit with his no. No. other items he may have on his person. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, 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 
Deadly weapons. Um, that's his dick I'm talking about. Uh, but all of the things that you said that you just went over, his his sort of focus on his reputation, his love of novels, his his love of Italian poetry, his ro- romancing the world into something that it isn't. These are, are these lady are, things. Yes. Yeah. They're all like the female Quixote, like total like women read too many novels and then they go psycho this is this is what happens to him yeah no you're right it's not right so and that's that's a really good point because i've I've kind of been talking about it in that like he the problem is that he embodies this very kind of like masculinely typed archaic ideal of honor but you're that's absolutely true it's also a lot of the late 18th century fears about like women novel reading is is also part of this so that which yeah and that's interesting actually and i don't I mean, I have some thoughts about why that might be part of Godwin's sort of overall critique, but I, but I think you're right. It does. It's not the the uh, the problems with Falkland are not simply kind of one directional. I think. Okay, but so in it, and so we see like how these kind of fixations of his go awry because in Italy he almost gets into a duel with this dipshit count. He, he does patch things up before there's a big blowout, uh, but but here's what the novel says. But, and here Falkland is talking to the Count, if the challenge had been public, the proofs I had formerly given of my courage would not have excused my present moderation, and though desirous to have avoided the combat, it would have been in, uh, it would not have been in my power. And yeah, I mean, I think you can see the novel's flagging that is a huge problem, and a lot of Godwin's critique is directed toward government as structure, but there's also plenty of scorn for the bullshit and moral system, uh, quote-unquote, of the rich. Yeah, the, uh, the um, inbred make up all kinds of weird fucking <laughs> moral protocols <laughs> yes uh yes well, that, they know that they do that they do so yeah so anyway back at his estate in england falkland is fated to come to blows with this dumbass neighbor who is the other local squire barnabas tyrell <laughs> barnabas you heard it right he's <laughs> barnabas well it's up there with godfrey Ca- the cast boys at dunston Dun- dunny dunston cast from from silas martyr right like these are yep. these are oh, great yeah. rich country dipshit names well why do they hate it, hate each other well first of all whereas falkland is an intellectual uh, <laughs> like it you know he's benevolent or whatever yep. he likes to read he you know, takes mensa quizzes on the airline uh, magazine he breezes through the nyt sun sun Day crossword without a dictionary or Wikipedia, right? Saturday <laughs> no is what the day hard day, bro. Yeah. Okay, so, oh, okay. I, I, I say I, I, don't, I fucking hate you. I'm terrible at crosswords. <laughs> oh, <laughs> any letters in the box. You just put any letters you want. <laughs> Sudoku. I can do it without repeating a number. Speaking of airline time. magazines, I fucking love the American Airlines crossword puzzle because it's, oh, it's so great. easy. It's awesome. <laughs> like <a> genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're always all yeah. done for that reason because yeah. everyone wants to feel like a genius. <laughs> If you want to get to Saturdays, you have to do every puzzle for three years. There's no reason I would have done that except <laughs> to say that I had. Oh, well, I, anyway, I'm very bad at them. Megan's very good at them. And so is Falkland uh, is, is, on the other hand, just a big, huge, dumb fuck. So, like, think Osbaldistone Hall from Rob Roy, only much less funny. And, and <laughs> Tyrrell just immediately hates Falkland, right? He'd be like, so good in a Hemingway novel. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. No, no, no. Tyrrell is definitely like a Hemingway type character. He, Tyrrell thinks Falkland is annoying as shit. And like, I mean, he's not wrong. 
Uh, but, but mainly Falkland represents a serious challenge to Tyrrell's social power. So here's another quote. The arrival of Mr. Falkland gave a dreadful shock to the authority of Tyrrell. The disposition of the, the disposition of the former by no means inclined him to withhold himself from scenes of fashionable resort. And he and his competitor were like two stars fated never to appear at once above the horizon. The advantages that Mr. Falkland possessed in the comparison are palpable mm-hmm. and had it been otherwise, the subjects of his rustic neighbor were sufficiently disposed to revolt against his merciless dominion. They had hitherto submitted not from love, but, uh, but fear. And if they had not actually rebelled, it was only for want of a leader. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, things ultimately come to a head between Tyrrell and Falkland. Um, weirdly, probably gummies. I'm going to chalk it up to gummies. Um, I, I, kept, <laughs> I kept picturing that scene at Gladiator where Commodus is whining about how everyone likes Maximus more than him, no matter what he does. But here's the thing. Big I think whiny the, baby. Yeah, very whiny. But yeah, that moment he's like, no, they call him Maximus the Merciful. You remember that. I'm going to get killed with a sword or infection or a diarrhea until I die. (laughs) Exactly. And everyone likes him more. My hair isn't laying right today. (laughs) My little Roman bangs aren't working. But I think the the uh, the the, the where, where my uh, my uh, dumbass analogy there doesn't work is I think that in the Kayla Williams movie Russell Crowe has to play Tyrrell and Joaquin Phoenix would be Falkland right like they they, uh, they just have to be sort of at least the the personas from that movie except you would have to make Maximus evil anyway yeah uh, and Kayla Williams by a paper cutout. <laughs> Yeah, yes, yes exactly. Yeah. It gradually turns yeah. into a real boy. I mean, like, we're 80 pages into the novel, and, like, where the fuck is the, like, the, the character, right? I mean, he is, yeah. he's not even a paper cutout right now. But, That's true. Um, it's called Caleb Williams. It is. False yeah. advertising. I'm going to sue. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop reading right now. <laughs> So, yeah, and, and like, uh, how, okay, so, for example, Falkland saves Tyrrell's niece from a fire. I mean, he is, like, a tryhard at being a good guy for sure, right? Like, Every time there's a damn fire. Yeah, he's there. Oh, like, I know. Uh, yeah. And, and, and as you can imagine, the niece falls in love with Falkland. And then Tyrrell goes full gothic villain on her and, like, imprisons her, tries to force her to marry this oaf named Grimes. Um Goes as far as to conspiring to help Grimes try to rape her. Like, I mean, he's like full gothic villain. Psycho shit. Yeah, real psycho. She escapes and Tyrrell has her arrested for debt uh, for all the money he says that she now owes him because she had been late. He was kind of like had adopted her effectively. And now he's saying like, oh, you owe me like 1100 pounds. And and here's Tyrrell to the cops that he tries to sick on her ass scoundrel. I tell you, she owes me, owes me 1100 pounds. The law justifies it. What do you think laws were made for? If he would have stopped at the first two words, we would have been in a fine place. But he had to go on. Less is more. Ask. Yeah, the scoundrel is a word. Yeah, that is, is a word that we could use more of these days. I think you know. Yeah. What was the law? What do you think laws were made for? Is like the perfect, brilliant. That's so brilliant, right? Like no, that's the moment for me that changed yeah. everything. That I was like, oh, they're made for fucking people over. I mean, even today, that's out. There. I mean, that's you would you know you say something like that, and 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 liberals are like, oh, like, what? Like, that was not good, but no, no it's you, a neutral moral you, good. Like, like you called the policeman when something wrong's happening, you know. Um, Sometimes they get a funny feeling at the nighttime if it's too loud outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good, but, fireworks. I, but I mean, so even if that's like controversial today, in the 18th, 
it's like, oh, this is like out there shit. I mean, this is very sort of like uh, like forward thinking in a, in a radical direction. And, and as you can imagine, this being very gothic at this moment, the niece, Emily, T- uh, Emily Melville, dies from the experience. Falkland tells the world about this, uh, which turns the neighborhood against Tyrrell. And then so to get revenge, Tyrrell shows up at a dance and just beats the absolute shit out of Falkland. Like he cold cocks him and just like kind of wails on his face for a while. And so later that night, though, Tyrrell's body turns up and he's been stabbed in the back. Falkland is tried and acquitted of the murder. And instead, these poor ex-tenants of Tyrrell, uh, whose lives Tyrrell had ruined uh, for defying him, are convicted and hanged. Um, so that that's Hawkins's. volume one. Hawkins's, is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I just that's remember it. So sad one. it's really sad. And also, like, Tyrrell had tried to hire, you can't see the air quotes, the son Lawrence out to be his servant and the dad was like no I really love him and I need him at home for characters who are in this for like three pages again for a social problem novel Godwin is like actually kind of brilliant at these character mini portraits yeah that, yeah, for sure. And also like the whole like basic like at one prior point, uh, like Hawkins, who he has like Hawkins uh, ha- can vote uh, or could because he owned a little bit of land. And this other landlord had basically tr- who like Tyrrell hated had tried to get him to vote one way and he wouldn't. Right. And so Tyrrell intercedes like, oh, I'm your friend now. But it was like it's all like thing about the political structure is just this dick swinging between rich assholes, basically, you know. And the reason why he wouldn't vote for the guy was because the guy threatened to horsewhip him and he's like I can't vote for somebody so it's like all of these petty it it is like a bunch of petty conflicts that lead to that Godwin shows them in their full significance when they're in a polluted Mm -hmm. system Mm -hmm. yeah for sure. So that yeah so that's volume one um, and that's the end of Falkland's prehistory via Collins now we're at the period when uh, when Caleb Williams works for him, and, and Falkland is now super weird and morose. So, like in volume one, before like Caleb Williams meets him, he's apparently you know he's the life of the party. Everyone thinks he's a wonderful guy, and he's so rich and nice and hot, even though he's short. <laughs> and, and now he is a big fucking weirdo and morose all the time. And, and Colin- has this weird chest of this weird chest where he's like nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, is we'll just get- my chest of private things that are just <laughs> has for me. nothing to do with anything. <laughs> we'll get to the chest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Colin says he's been weird like that ever since the murder trial. Hmm. Hmm. Funny that. Uh, why? Wonder why? why. That's weird. I'm not gonna make any associations though. <laughs> and so our boy Caleb Williams gets to thinking. I bet he did it. Oh boy, I wish he would just tell me. I triple pinky swear I wouldn't tell anyone if he did. And I have to say for reasons that are unclear, I mean, there's a little bit like people love a mystery, right? But like Williams just gets fixated on, I've got to know this. And like my my boss has to tell me because, and like the because is never really supplied other than I could be trusted with this information, you know? Play the quiet game, Caleb. (laughs) Play (laughs) the quiet game. I mean, it's just, it's a horror movie when you're like, don't go into that basement. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, but I mean, did you did like? Am, am I right on that? Did you guys get any other set that why he wanted to know this other than simply to know it? He says that's his the demon that is inside of him is yeah. his curiosity. Curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and okay. And actually, so I mean, this would be a good play to reference again. Like, so William, I'm sorry, 
Godwin, and I will talk more about this in the context, is really invested in this idea of truth, like that he thinks if we just like were truthful all the time, that would like fix all of human society. So, I mean, I wonder there if like, well, one, if this curiosity is the same thing as that kind of inquiries, or if it's being typed as different. But then the other question is like, if part of what's being said is, yeah, well, but that doesn't work if just one person is like into this. You know what I mean? Like one person cannot overthrow the regime of like secrets that are embedded in power well, because Caleb know? Williams is just bl- has his mouth blabbing the whole rest of the novel about like this guy killed this guy, this guy killed this guy. Yeah, 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 Why yeah, doesn't yeah. anybody believe me? Yeah, like just blah yeah. blah blah blah, like some guy who had fucking truth serum. Yeah, he also keeps his own. He also keeps his own secret in a, in a manner that's well. Anyway, you'll but talk he won't about wear this a disguise. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There are all these fun details in this novel that it's like, that's a bridge too far. Don't call me Jewish and I won't wear a disguise. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Entire, yeah. The subtitle to this should be that's a bridge too far, my friend. Like, because everything, <laughs> all of it is just about like, what's your, what's your limit? And let's get into a fight about it. Yeah. You know, exactly. Things yeah. as they are. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Things as they are. That's right. That is actually the the, the subtitle to the novel. Uh, (laughs) Well, actually, no, it's not. Things as they are or The Adventures of Caleb Williams. So Caleb Williams is actually the subtitle. Well, I think Adventures is a little bit of a misnomer. (laughs) Yeah, these – yeah. Well, we're, 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 we're getting to those adventures, uh, if, if that's what we want to call them. Uh, because, okay, so here's the thing, right? So so Williams, because of this curiosity, starts acting super weird around Falkland, you know, just annoyingly hinting at shit. So he'll be doing some paperwork and bust out with, ever wonder what it would be like to kill somebody? You don't know anybody that ever <laughs> murdered anyone, do you? <laughs> Have you ever seen the life drain out of a yeah. man's eyes? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what that'd be like. You know how Alexander the Great loved to watch people die? Do you know anyone like that? Or do you can you think what do you think of it? Yeah. Is Alexander the Great a good guy? <laughs> yeah. Discuss. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh man, yeah, I left out that whole like law. Yeah, when he, yeah, when he, he he draws him into this philosophical conversation about Alexander the Great, basically the point, which is like, yeah, but he killed lots of people. Not like you, right? You never did that. Uh, <laughs> but so. So Falkland just starts freaking the fuck out. He gets more and more spooked and pissed off. And Williams keeps like awkwardly apologizing and then doing even weirder shit. And this culminates in this crazy scene where there's a chimney fire. And Williams, like along with all the other servants, is rushing into the house to help get papers and furniture out and deal with the fire. But then he stops when he sees the chest, Megan alluded to, where he's sure Falkland has kept all of his murder evidence for some reason. Curious George over here. When I first saw it or read it in the novel, I was like, oh, there's a person in there. Like, I thought he was doing girl in the basement shit. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like like Tyrell's head is in there. Yeah, because he sits on it at one point and I'm like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, anyway, Falkland breaks it, you know, busts it to the scene it sees him doing this and it's like okay fine i killed the fuck but now guess what i don't trust you not to tell tmz and page six and every single shady true crime subreddit about this (laughs) so one you can never quit your job and two if you try i will hunt you forever and this is what i mean by true villain shit yes yeah yes psycho Exactly. I, in that scene, I, I sort of feel like some sympathy for Falkland until he goes like way, way too extreme. And that, you know, uh, but yeah, so w- Williams is, of course, not down with this and he tries to run away. And then Falkland frames him for theft, which I should say is a capital offense in the period. And Williams gets hauled off to jail. 
that's the Black Act. I knew my facts would yes, come back. <laughs> that is the Black Act of 1723, I think. Yeah, that's right. And that's the also the one that fucked over the Hawkins family. Yes, that's right. Because it also pertains to um, what type of cl- – it's like it's all kinds of technicalities about your clothes and what you're allowed to be carrying. Yeah. Yeah, they're, right. There were all – yes, there were all kinds of like sort of sartor- sartorial uh, codes and things like that. Yeah. It's like literally if you're wearing like – like if he pulled his hood up. Yeah. Like that's what the sun did. Yeah, and right, and and, and that you're, and that is important because that like a lot of those are 18th century innovations um, in the law to basically codify the power of the growing bourgeoisie, right? Like that to really like make property into the site of kind of power and and class stratification in a way that like I mean on, you know in earlier periods it, it wasn't in the same way and and you know read read Capital Volume One if you want to know more about that. I love uh, the. I love the casual aside of read Capital Volume yeah. One. In fact, it'll take you, you to know, learn a year more. or so. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, literally, it took me a year to read it. So now I'm I'm going to breathe through the the next two volumes because they're you know this is this is the thriller shit, uh, you know, which is very fun to read, but it, there's just not all that much thematically that we have to track. So one thing Williams keeps escaping from prison, <laughs> and uh, so more than anyone has ever escaped. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so agents of the state who were definitely acting as Falkland's goons, like that's not, I mean, that's pretty apparent, readily apparent. Um, they keep hunting him down. There is sort of a Keystone Cops effect in a lot of this where the incompetence and greed of the police is like kind of an almost comic focus, I would say. Like it's it, farcical. It is farcical. Yeah, it is. It, 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 I mean, it, and it's very upsetting and and and, and fast paced. But you're, uh, but but you're right. It is. Uh, it, it's funny as well. And and, and you know, I mean, uh, not satiric, but yeah, like farcical. So like at one point, for instance, in that vein, like Dog the Bounty Hunter shows up because he catches him trying to sail yep. off to Ireland because uh, because the, the 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 Bounty Hunter guy is looking for an entirely different criminal and he falls for Williams's terrible Irish accent. It was like, ah, oh, you must be the guy. <laughs> so. I guess you were after their lucky charms after yeah. all. Yeah. So Williams is eventually captured, but it is trial Falkland. Um, and we kind of get the sense that Falkland has been like looking out for him in a weird way his trial kept getting postponed and you know before he starts escaping from prison all the time he keeps getting like good food in prison like so, like someone is sort of watching out for him someone he's like i want to make a chair can you get me all the shit to make a chair <laughs> oh, right yeah yeah. Yes. yeah right yeah exactly. so i can hide stuff in it yeah yeah, and, and yes, and, and use the the files and whatnot to to, to bust out. But but so Falkland doesn't show, um, and because he doesn't, Williams is free. But Falkland doesn't give up, so he has like Agent Smith follow him all around Britain and tell everyone how he stole from his boss and what a piece of shit he is, so he can't hold a job. And Williams does start to see Falkland's power over him as almost godlike. And so here's a quote: "In vain I said, Mister Falkland, wise as he is and pregnant in resources, acts by human and not supernatural means. He may overtake me by surprise and in a manner of which I have no previous expectation. But he cannot produce a great and notorious effect without some visible agency. He cannot, like those invisible personages who are supposed from time to time to interfere in human affairs, ride in the whirlwind, shroud himself in clouds and impenetrable darkness, and scatter destruction upon the earth from his secret habitation. And yeah, it does feel like he can do all of that, right? And yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, the almost like kind of godlike power of the sort of rich who control the legal system. There's a part that is straight out of sinners in the hands of an angry god. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Except that it's the law. Yeah, That's where I find it like so yep. thrilling. Yeah. If you and I were on ice together, 
and and I were driving, I would be driving the Zamboni inexorably <laughs> toward you and nothing Very slowly. Stop my power. <laughs> okay. But so eventually, Williams, he's like, I got to put a stop to this. And so what he does is he accuses Falkland of murder in open court. And when Falkland turns up, he looks like absolute shit. Like he's clearly about to die. When he's hit with Williams' truth bomb, he confesses. And here's what he says. William said, you have conquered. I see too late the greatness and elevation of your mind. You do, because I don't think any of the rest of us do. Like, <laughs> yeah. I missed it. I adore the qualities that you now display. Those to, uh, those, to those qualities, I owe my ruin. I have spent a life of the basest cruelty to cover one act of momentary vice and to protect myself against the prejudices of my species. I now stand completely detected. My name will be consecrated to infamy, infamy while your heroism, your patience, and your virtues will be forever admired. And then he croaks because the gothic and the sentimental are kind of the same thing. Uh, but, but Williams actually feels like shit. And here's how we end. I began these memoirs with the idea of vindicating my own character. I have now no, no character I wish to vindicate, but I will finish them that thy, thy story, Falklands, may be fully understood. And that if those errors of thy life be known, which thou so ardently desirest to conceal, the world may at least not hear and repeat a half-told and mangled tale. Just so weird. Yeah. The end. And yeah, I want I don't know. I why? I would be really curious to hear from you guys. Why does the fact that Williams's troubles are over, Falkland is known to be the murderer and like his power over him is broken, why does that result in such kind of like dejection and not even ambivalence, but like kind of this deep seated depression? What's that about? Like why do we finish the critique there? Because neither the truth nor the law can be re- rehabilitative. We don't get any jouissance in the like the truth will out. And maybe that it's different to what Godwin thinks, right? Because if he's so interested in these sort of like values of truth, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like that's part of it. I think that's right for sure. To say I think what you said in a different way, it's like society's still there. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get anywhere. We're we went back to the beginning yeah. and for Caleb Williams to be happy at the end would mean that the problem was that in fact Falkland was a vi- was a villain right, and yeah. that villainy is responsible for that that's the thing that you should be upset about. Yeah. And the other p- possibility there which is Falkland is executed mm-hmm. it has the exact same effect as right. you just described Katie, right? Like to me that's those are the same ending. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the opposite of what this ending is. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it is that despite the fact that the, like this is very novelly and that the thriller aspect, us getting like sort of an immersed in like Williams running all over the country from this guy. But right, what you guys are saying, the problems are systemic and this resolution fixes nothing in that regard. Because and yeah, it's not if Auckland is not the villain landlords and the rich uh, are the squirearchy is the villain and this does nothing to fix that it is he does put that in the mouths of the characters in like very strangely compelling ways falkland says he says to tyrell at one point we're just here because of an accident we two are just exactly equals because of an accident and given that fact we can't be tyrants because there's no such thing as deserving anything mm-hmm yeah, right. And I actually forgot about that line, but you're right. Like Falkland himself acknowledges the uh, complete contingency and arbitrariness of like the power he holds. Mm-hmm. And yet, which I that so that his sort of humane and not uh, aristocrat dipshit like side of his brain. And yeah, but, but you know, but it's, but then he, beha- but he operates very much as though 
the alter the opposite were the case, right? That like this is me biker, or I don't know. I mean, but maybe it is something like this. Is well, and he can have nice guy moments. That doesn't make him any less a squire or a rich guy or somebody who's um. If you if you don't work for me anymore, you're dead. Right. Right. It's very much like degrees of pain, which is the thing that I was trying to figure out through reading the book. Like, what is it that makes these people into tyrants who then can't bear to have any of their wishes refused? Because it seems like, in fact, they always already were like the moment they got their feelings hurt or some shit. Like for Mm -hmm. Falkland, it's like his feelings got hurt. For Tyrell, his mom was too nice. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, You're right. Tyrell's described as being the the product of bad education driven by the feminine, which is very sort of like weird, you know, but. But also like somebody accidentally spilled a little of their gin and tonic on him in a bar and he like punched their lights out. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, can you do context? Because I like (laughs) Bill Godwin is heroic. (laughs) Totally. So, right. So I won't do uh, too much on Godwin's bio. Uh, we've done it before on such classic episodes as Frankenstein, episode number one. Um, hey. And if you just remember Mary Wollstonecraft, wife guy, and Mary Shelley's dad, you kind of get it. Uh, <laughs> but, he was a heavy-duty daughter guy and wife guy. He was, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and, and son-in-law guy, too, right? So, Oh, yeah. I will, yeah. I will repeat the amazing story of how Percy Shelley, a radical of a younger generation than William Godwin, Wrote God with this extremely fad boyish letter, the effect of which was, dude, I thought you were dead. Can we hang out? Uh, and then proceeded as a married dude to elope with Mary, who was like 16. And and Godwin was mad, but he also needed money at that point, so he didn't stay mad. So that's not that great. <laughs> but, I guess that helps you get over it when your 16-year-old daughter is uh, abducted by a poet yeah. who thought you were dead. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Don't get abducted by poets, folks. No. Percy Shelley, yeah. good politics, kind of a terrible person. Most metal death. <laughs> Most metal 19th death. 19th century history. Yeah. Very much, yeah. So yeah, so like a lot of British radicals, Godwin came out of the dissenting Protestant tradition, uh, meaning his family descended from the established Church of England. We've talked quite a bit before about how dissenting ministers were quite prominent in the 18th century abolition movement, um, and also democratic reform generally, like ideas of universal suffrage, even the abolition of the monarchy. So Godwin's dad was a dissenting minister, and so was Godwin for a time, but that like wasn't nearly hippie enough for him, and he <laughs> moved over into writing and publishing, first for sort of established Whig slash liberal outlets, but increasingly for radical ones as we get to the 1790s. Okay, so why do I keep dragging him for being a hippie? Is it because he started a library for children? Well, he yeah, that's right. Oh. He did that. I mean, he, well, he, no, Which is that's very awesome. cute. Hippie it, show. Is. it is. No, I mean there there's a lot of endearingness about him, even though he kind of was apparently sort of very aloof and uh, emotionally distant, among other things. I still but, think that's like kill the a guy. Thing. It is. It is. Um, did he kill a guy? I don't think. Yeah, if he was aloof and emotionally distant, there's only one conclusion he I must have killed. Yeah, yeah. He must have killed a guy, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, we'll, we'll sit him down in front of uh, uh, criminal uh, of uh, law and order criminal intent and see what and see, watch his reactions, right? Let's let's ask him to his face when we're alone together. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. Let's save his house from a but, fire. Uh but no, I don't. I, that's not why I keep dragging for being a hippie. It's mainly because he wasn't full Jacobin uh, in the sense that he was really skeptical about revolutionary use of force and even arguably a lot, about a lot of forms of direct action. 
so political justice, which is his like political theory, like kind of masterwork, uh, was published in 1793, and it embraces a lot of the principles of the French Revolution. Uh, it goes much further in that it aims at the abolition of all government uh, and, and claims that, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is yeah. like a foundational yeah. anarchist text. And among its claims are, one, that law and government serve the interests of the rich and powerful, which, yeah. Uh, exactly <laughs> That's Caleb Williams, too. Try to argue. Yeah, exactly. And two, that violence is embedded in and causes government, uh, which is sort of Jacobin and definitely what we call anarchist. But among other things, it's committedly pacifist. And you do often get the feeling that for Godwin, it's just like a revolution of the mind, man. You know, (laughs) so... um, He's really into this idea of radical critique in that if we were, and we talked about this a bit, uh, just a bit ago, we were all 100% honest with each other at all times, the world would fall into place and it would be just apparent to everyone that we don't need government. And here's That's where- kind of a wild thing to think though, is if we were all just walking around being like, you have spinach in your teeth. We yeah, yeah, have yeah, yeah, government. yeah. No, but but I mean that's actually part of it. That that like and any any time we like obfuscate in any way, we're actually you know taking ourselves from this sort of like ideal of social realization. He wanted to be at like this psychology mind institute retreat where everyone holds hands and <laughs> yeah, says yes. like. Yes. You look ugly today. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Have um, you taken well, your ketamine? Well, <laughs> Well, and honestly, we're getting this is that that uh, is on the right track because it gets really wooey. Uh, he thinks sickness is caused by irrationality, and if we did pure reason, we wouldn't die. Like literally, he thinks that. <laughs> Who's the lady that you hate, Katie? Who does all the like? La- uh, Brene Brown. Oh yes, Brene Brown. I hate Brene Brown. Um, she yes, she's all about vulnerability and um. And dressing like Hillary Clinton and a housewife who wears a lot of statement necklaces combined. And she uh, thinks we should all tell each other the truth at all times and like live according to our true essence or whatever. Kind, kind. She thinks that you should be vulnerable and that that's like the highest ideal basically. And so like you should do things all the time that make you feel vulnerable and, and that scare you. But like for her, they're mostly just like white lady things like i said something in a meeting even if i was didn't want to <laughs> i went for that business deal sure yeah. vulnerability i uh leaned leaned in i le- i leaned all the way in and i didn't even get embarrassed when i fell down <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for for Godwin, it's 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 actually like the lie that's like the scary thing, because that that's how like power relations are maintained. Um, but yeah, and, and I I want to be fair. Like, I mean, I honestly I haven't read a political justice for, for about ten years since I was reading for my my fields exam. But I don't remember the like truly hippie shit, like self actualization, man, being that prominent. It mainly is about like how do we get away from government. But, you know, as I said, you know, and also like, right, badass radical shit alongside the hippie shit. So there is like a Libby Whig history idea of humanity is inherently progressive, which to be fair, does put him at odds with reactionary of the day, like, like Malthus. And of course, most libs don't posit anarchism as the telos of that either. Right? <laughs> like, I don't think it's that psycho. What he, I mean, aside from the live forever thing, yeah. <laughs> to, to say my theory is that radical honesty society, we wouldn't 
need any no, of these. I, I agree. I I agree. It, it's it's to me, it's more his like that. This is a thought experiment rather than how do we actually like do this. But I mean, I'm going to oppose how I just characterized that. He was deeply immersed in the heated politics of the moment. So like Caleb Williams was famously published the same day that George III's government suspended habeas corpus because they were so freaked out by what Robespierre and the Committee of Public Safety were doing. Oh, damn. And later that same year, 1794, there was a famous treason trial of some prominent radicals. And Godwin, you know, published under his name a damning pamphlet taking apart the government's case. And they they actually were acquitted. So, I mean, he did engage, but it's just, you know, there's a there's a little bit of a like, it, I'm not going to get my hands dirty in actual politics uh, quality to it. Um, but that personal risk he did. Yes. Like he didn't, he, he did do the pamphlet at. No, I, I, I agree. So, I mean, in, in some ways. Yeah, if I, he'd written something defending Sacco and Vanzetti, you know, that would still be famous, right? Right, 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 right. I mean, just right, like, right. sorry, I know I do a bit of that, like, anachronism, but. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, I also think that, like, yeah, I mean, that we can see there that, like, he, he did, he engaged in politics in the actual world, but perhaps there's just a skepticism as to, like, or just an idea that, like, actual revolution is, like, on a much longer scale, which, all right, fine now we're thinking of like you know fucking louis althusser and other people right but i'll just close the context uh discussion by noting one interpretive problem that emerges here as i said political justice committed to this idea that radical truthfulness will set the world free except maybe i don't well now you know we, we, we talked about this a bit does that happen in caleb williams you can maybe see the initial conflict between falkland and williams is about williams's insistence on openness countered by falkland's persecution but you know, as we said, Williams is miserable when Falkland does confess. And I do want to just throw out here, the published ending is maybe more ambiguous, maybe less on the main themes. So in the draft ending, this early draft, in the draft ending, Falkland doesn't confess and Williams winds up in the madhouse. Like we get all these M dashes as we get into his thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, it is one at last. I believe there's nothing in life worth making such a bustle about. No, nor in secrets, nor in murders, neither for the matter of that. When people are dead, you know, one cannot bring them to life again. Dead folks tell no tales. Ghosts do not walk these days. I never saw Mr. Tyrrell's. Only once. Well, then, it is wisest to be quiet, it seems. Some people are ambitious. Other people talk of sensibility, but it's all folly. I am sure I am not one of those. Was I ever? True happiness lies like being a stone. Nobody can complain of me. All the day long, I do nothing. I'm a stone, a gravestone, an obelisk to tell you. Here lies what was once a man." So, wow. Like, okay. So in in the published version, Falkland confesses and Williams is like, well, fuck, this doesn't fix anything. In the first draft, he doesn't confess. And instead, Williams is like, it goes mad. And so he's like completely destroyed. Does the fact that Godwin was initially thinking in this way, tell us anything, think, give us anything more to say about that ending? Or I mean, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I mean, I love the version that we have because it's not un- not very satisfying yeah. in the sense of like it doesn't follow the conventions of the genre or it doesn't – well, I guess it it's, can, follows the conventions of a genre that doesn't really exist yet, yeah. which is a social problem novel. But mm-hmm. it doesn't follow the conventions of a thriller, whereas this follows something like the conventions of a thriller. And I think its conventionality is actually like – I, it makes it's part of what makes me like it less, and also like Caleb Williams is insufficiently developed in a way that I'm like, oh, this guy's gonna like go completely off the rails. 
he's been spending this entire novel with people saying like he didn't do it or you're wrong or whatever but this is the thing right and and i think the fact that it preserves falkland's villainy that like it, it maintain it, it it lets us sit with the problem is falkland this individual is a villain rather right. than what the published ending does which is like no it is like the social structure that falkland inhabits that is the villainy right it's money and the law and yeah. the position of the squire yeah. and all those things. Yeah. Well, yes, it is. Totally those things. And you get pulled away from money and the power of the law and the squire by getting sucked into – if the end were Caleb Williams, it's like very interesting narrative thing of uh, this like tragic madness. You get pulled into that. You're shocked by the disintegration of like a mind that mm-hmm. the novel hasn't really built for you to or get that attached to or immersed in mm-hmm. and so like by the time he got to the end it wouldn't it doesn't make any sense i think you could write a successful novel that ended i mean i'm sure he he could write a successful novel that ended that way but because caleb williams is like a baby he's like a big yeah. huge baby is, man. Yeah. and to have it be like big baby man turns into pre like almost you know he's going in the direction of pre-linguistic baby looks like yeah i don't know what that looks like yeah but it or or that the sort of like inverse of that right which is he knew too much and for having the truth not reveal itself he quotes went crazy for having too much knowledge right so it's like it's either excess or utter deficit and neither of these seems right because this character, like, this is one of the things we we were sort of chatting about, is I was curious about why the novel starts with Caleb Williams. He's not really even in it. Volume one is, like, not him. Volume two is misadventures of being on the run. He's breaking out of prison all the time. There are all these weird micro-narratives about things like he breaks his ankle, and so then he's like, call a doctor, and the prison guards are like, okay. And... <laughs> yeah and he gets better and breaks out and then the third part is his being a much more of a character in his sort of like escapes yeah and and that no i know that he develops different kinds of relationships with other characters yeah and that right and that's something i you would have been talking about before we started just how williams is like almost absent as a character in the first volume very flat in two and like becomes a novelistic character in three and i think what is so powerful about that is that he's like constituted by as a character with this like kind of rich interiority specifically as he comes up against these sort of social systems of oppression yes. right like that that like the individual like i mean and you know that's i guess a fairly uh common 18th 19th century novel conceit like the individual is formed by the social but here like that for is so constitutionally oppressive in form right right it's the social and it's most yeah. like villainous version that makes that has like the relationship to his constitution and that's what strikes me as being really outside of the sort of like normative um genre conventions yeah no the thing is that you do hear all of these like you can argue about are people g- like, are people good or bad? You can get drawn into that conversation or drawn into that novel, like, of warring impulses of good or bad, like, sinful, not sinful, whatever system of morality you want to call it. And then you could you could argue the other side, like, it's circumstances and forces that act upon you in a way that's almost like physics. Like, that's why I think Godwin likes to say, we can't tr- we can't crank the machine till it crushes, crushes someone into atoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but he... 
built so instead of getting drawn into a debate like this could be a dreadful epistolary novel that made a lot of really good points yeah yeah, oh yeah for for sure sure. between caleb williams and like man who Eddie, some lady it's that's an 18th century novel thing too isn't it like some lady that we never hear from yeah (laughs) like i just sent letters into the void my friend, the guy yeah, who had exactly. a job yeah. that he could get letters at, <laughs> but he is—he is like show don't tell on the we live in a society, totally. and it really works. Mm-hmm. Like it really works. Yeah. Well, and the live in a society version is not the version that like is 18th century, but it also like fucking survives to today, which is a moralistic. This is not what it's doing. A moralistic screed about how like however you want to put it, industrialization. The, the sort of codification of, of a given social structure makes people different kinds of subjects, but that the, the structure of it and not the technology is what changes it. Because mm-hmm. it feels yeah. like the 18th century is always thinking like industrialization makes people immoral when actually the problem is that like capital industrialization as a function of capital is what yeah. has the so in moral the, qualities. So th- that's definitely a 19, the 19th century. I think the oh, okay. 18th century version of that is uh, more like, like it is still capital, but it's like, uh, like, oh, it's, you know, now all like just anyone can buy an estate or that these like kind of colonial goods. Are, I mean, I think that the, it act, that actually relates more closely to the sort of 19th century that like it's industry that's done this in that it's still versions of sort of like capital and of felt sense changing economic relations and relations of production are having these deleterious effects you know but but you're right but i think there is like a very sort of conservative fantasy of like oh if only we could get back to the before time that some novels take it in and yeah that's not at all what godwin seems to be saying this might relate to the why the truth at the individual level doesn't upset the system uh is so present in that like i godwin i don't think does think that there is an easy uh, answer to like the systemic problem. So, uh, one other like passage I, I you know thought I, I could mention was with the fir- when when Williams first denounces Falkland in court, and this is chapter eleven of volume three. So Williams is like, yeah, Falkland killed this guy, and the judge is like. Uh, what's he say? Uh, oh, a fine time of it indeed it would be if when gentlemen of 6,000 a year take up their servants for robbing them, those servants could trump up such accusations as these and could get any magistrate or court of justice to listen to them. And Williams is just like crestfallen because he's like, up until that moment, I thought like I, I had the key to my release in my possession. If mm-hmm. I just said the truth, like that would like, and he says like, no, it, like the, the truth at like this sort of individual level doesn't, doesn't change anything. And, and I, I the reason I was thinking of that with, with regard to the social transformations you were talking about, Megan, is just that it further highlights the embeddedness of the sort of like systemic problems, right? That, that this is not like locatable at one particular historic moment. It is a feature of sort of human society as it has developed that if we're going to get out of it, it's going to be a very painful process that's mm-hmm. going to require a lot of work to do so, you know? Fundamentally, it's about it's about power for him and that power leads to tyranny, leads to yeah. Caleb Williams being victimized. And I think partially, I don't, I don't know if what I'm, I don't know if I agree with what I'm about to say, but <laughs> I think that part of the reason why the ending is this way is because Caleb Williams could become Falkland 
in other circumstances. You mean you like know, given like, 6000 a year? Like Exactly. Okay. And being injured. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, and not even necessarily uh, – see, this is my – I'm curious about God. Certainly he's concerned with the social and that what the rich can do with their money. But like the location of the corruption is just – is everywhere and, and not – it's it's just like it's the social, it's yeah. the system. Yeah. It's not good or bad people. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's so crucial that like the scale, like we know that for that in Falkland has committed this murder, and obviously that's you know in the scope of this book, like that's the highest of crimes. But also, people, Tyrrell, you know, sells these guys out, right? His his. I guess tenants or however we want to think about it. All these versions of a rich guy killing another rich guy is like not doesn't feel quite as tragic. That as, was fine. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's like the problem is it being like relocated on someone else, and then also like the matter of its like truthfulness yeah. being constantly called into question. Mm-hmm. The substance of the crime is kind of like. Eh. And I would yeah. point to that being the evidence of that is that when we see, you know, his being stabbed in the back, that scene never gets repeated again. No. Whereas other scenes are like repeated ad nauseum. Like Godwin has no yeah. problem with repetition. Yeah, I do. I, I do have to say that like, yeah, when they're describing like, oh, like the foulest of crimes or whatever. It's like, actually, it seems pretty dope that Tyrrell bit it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, I mean, he's just mm-hmm. a yeah. piece of shit, you know? Like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I'm not mad about that part. Yeah. No. But, I'm mad I at mean, his being like, Caleb Williams, you have to work for me until you die. Yeah. Right. And, and so are th- all of us as readers. Yeah. It's not just me. And my thought initially, of course, was, okay, Caleb, here's what you do. I mean, this is not the way to read a book, but just like, okay, well, like, I can see a world where you just fucking, you just lie to him. You just say, sure thing. I'm not going anywhere, bud. Yeah. I'll be here forever. <laughs> yeah. I love it here. Never going. Yeah. And then you open a window and noodle on out as soon as you've given it enough time. No, he's a know? compulsive truth teller. Yes. Yeah. He's a compulsive teller yes. of whatever's in his brain. Yeah. No, he is. And it does really matter, right, that like Falkland at least starts – somewhat sympathetic and that Williams is fucking annoyed. This this is a weird comparison to make, but I can't like native son writes like, no, 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 I'm not going to give you a fucking sympathetic here. I mean, Falkland gives it. I'm sorry, not Falkland. Godwin gives us much more of a way of thinking of Williams as like a novelistic character than, mm-hmm. uh, than Wright intentionally kind of withholds in that. But I think that like that is still that impulse of like, you see the system by virtue of like, I'm not giving you aspects of an individual to be like, oh, if only if only this guy were more like this, that wouldn't actually fix the problem. Well, and also that the worst of all possible crimes is not the worst of all possible crimes right. in the logic of the novel, in the right. sense that in Native yeah. Son, he doesn't rape a white woman, right. which is like right. the crime for which he's executed. And right. so that the structure commits that as being like the worst of all problems possible crimes even though like one in here it's like not even that bad no not that mad that he's got killed yeah yeah the worst of all possible crimes is sending people to fucking prison yeah yeah and and this is sorry sorry this is a little bit of a tangent um but i do also wonder if 
like duels were still a thing. I mean, the, like the, the government had really tried to like over the course of the 18th century to get people to stop doing duels. But like it was still like it had <laughs> this code of, you know, if you see like you, sir, you scoundrel, I can't believe you wailed on my face like that. I shall meet you at, you know, noon ah, with pistol. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> then, then it would have been fine ish that Tiro wound up killed. It's the fact that he like stabs him in the back and he like, so Falkland himself is guilty of this like violation of this bullshit honor code that the novel wants nothing to do and, you know so it's like it, it, right. it, i think the fact that like the law would maybe or at least society would maybe excuse it if it had this other form godwin's like that's fucking stupid you know like yeah yes it's important not to forget that falkland uh also buys into the thing that that godwin doesn't yes like, as yes. we talk about it like yes. i know we all yeah, yeah. know this thing but falkland is obsessed with his reputation as you said and so that's so there's a world in which like he just says you're you're a bitch everyone hates you haha yeah to Tyrrell yeah you like hit me all you want no one's still every everyone hates you yeah 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 yeah. okay can either of you tell me when I say the Godwinian novel I don't know what I'm talking about I'm just like stealing a line from a friend of ours yeah no right yeah no, the, yeah f- friend of the pod former former uh, guest uh, Hil- Hillary Strang yeah no I mean like so the Godwinian novel looks a lot like this in that it is kind of like a social problem novel the individual is constituted by social problems but I'm going to throw this to Katie because Charles Brockton Brown Whelan last season was like yes this is Caleb Williams is awesome I want to do that in America and then wrote about ventriloquists and like a dumbass <laughs> who thinks that God's talking to him like so. Could you make sense of why CBB thought that this was like? Because <laughs> he did pick up on the goth shit, and I feel yeah. like that's kind of it. Like I did, I don't see the sort of like w- wide scale macro critique in Brown. Yeah, so I think that there's a different unit that Charles Brockton Brown cares about, and there's a different thing he cares about too. Like it's a different sort of law. What he's talking about is somebody, or what Charles Brockton Brown is talking about in Wheeland, again, with the, so there's this dad, he thinks he's gotten a prophecy from God that he needs to kill his family. So when given a dictate like this, what you don't do is explode into flames and lose your mind. <laughs> but, but in fact, but in fact, that's what is hap- that, that is what happens because of a dictate or a law that comes from what he perceives to be power in his madness. He comes to a bad end and then his son winds up killing his family to sort of, um, to fill in for the father, this like this generational, uh, mania. And so I think what the similar thing that I'm getting here is that it's not just as simple as repetition compulsion or whatever, but it's that if you have a fundamental premise that tyranny is okay, like there can be some form of it, there can be some unlimited power and that, that you need to offer unlimited submission to, that shit could get very fucked up very fast and for for various reasons but that's my that's my theory no that's and and yeah and i mean with a specific uh strain of early u.s colonial history 
with like the the theocracy and like the religious mm. that like that just like what that power looks like for like you know Charles Brockton Brown might manifest in a very different way than it did you know Godwin writing in the set with like revolutionary France right across the channel right like um, but what yeah. does the work of the Godwinian novel because I because I have this enormous knowledge gap between 1790 and 1890. Oof. A good question. Until it's Stephen Crane or yeah. whoever you want to say. I think it's that he's obsessed with like um he's just impulse mm-hmm. and he's obsessed with the checking of impulse and where mm-hmm. that should come mm-hmm. from. Yeah. And yeah, no, for sure. And and I also do have to say that like, and I, Victorianists will definitely yell at me about this, that I'm like being very reductive about their period. And look, I, I have already pledged uh, to some of our listeners that we will do more Victorian novels on the show. But I do have to say like, at least- What is the, this like one listener who is like, do no, fucking the mill on the floss or whatever? It's more, it's more than it's several, it's several people. And, and look, there's a lot of great Victorian novels we can do. I will say though, That's that like one. there is a very, very lib uh like character to like the victorian <laughs> like i mean Char- like dickens right i mean katie and i you know did a dickens episode to a couple dickens episodes and like he you know i mean he's really perceptive about certain social problems but what like always drives me crazy is he doesn't do the godwin thing of like we're yeah. thinking about them as a system it's like you know it, it more devolves into like well if only we could manage this better things would be but again i i yeah we're gonna get we're gonna get angry letters from victorianists who are like no it's know, also like real tragic like, in the victorian novel even when it's like a good commentary right on yeah. child labor or something it's like because they all die and yes, it's like yeah, the sad yeah. the deepest of possible sads yeah yeah whereas this mostly isn't sad it's mostly uh angry yeah and, for me. and, and frightening yeah 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 and frightening yeah. i mean it has it's sad but it's not in the way that like i don't yeah. know I think though it's calculated sort of not to be sad because if we go back to the Emily the uh, Emily Melville story where she she's in love with uh, Falkland and Falkland takes this great interest in her and saves and saves her life only to have it later taken by Tyrrell throwing her in jail. She it's made clear has had smallpox and her face doesn't look great and that's why yep. Tyrrell doesn't want to marry yeah. her and Falkland has no interest in her. Right. She has no future. Regardless, she's just. Uh, she's she's friend zoned. She's yeah. friend zoned by her psychotic cousin who she depends on for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So she didn't, like, you can't, it, Godwin makes it hard to get, like, you have to find the sentimentality yourself. Right. The right. form matters enormously because that's why we have that amazing quote where he's like, what is the law for? But the content of it matters not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's not a, she's not a person we care about very much. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. She's an uggo. Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of a dimwit also. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, but this was yeah, I'm I'm glad we finally got to do this novel. It's uh Sounds it's fucking, fucking good. It's dude. fucking great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really, let's really play good. a game. Let's play a game. Okay. So this novel obviously is about revenge. It's about revenge. And you will maybe not be surprised to find out that there are a lot of stories of revenge that people are very proud of online. And <laughs> um, yeah, they like to they like to share about those. And um, we're just going to kind of go through a few of these scenarios. And what I want to emphasize again, as I generally will, is that these are all true. Mm-hmm. 
That's what the These internet is true. for. What the internet is for. Well, except for one, but th- we'll get to that. It's not great. We're going to talk first about some film-related revenge. And what I would like you to do is just, yeah, just just pick your flavor. Pick your flavor of revenge. Like, which one would you do? Which is the least lame to you? <laughs> They're all pretty fucking lame. <laughs> and I'll just start by reading you some of the... Um, the captions, uh, my boyfriend chose dishes, fiance loves socks, so I throw them away. Neighbor <laughs> made fun of my game, so I turn the tables on her. Bitch colleague gets me fired, so I wait for my time to retaliate 15 years because Whoa. environmental people are annoying. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> the first one is um, this guy goes to a movie. He goes to see The Hunger Games with his girlfriend. That's what she wanted to see, he insists. And there are a bunch of teens in front of them that won't stop talking. So he confronts the teens and says, teens, cut it out. Quit being teens. I don't want to hear about your teenage girl life. Okay? So, the, But they won't stop going on their phones, doing their TikToks, doing it all. <laughs> and what he decides he'll do is during the movie, take his key and cut a hole into the bottom of his large soda and stick his finger into the soda. And then at the end, walk up to the teens and say, Sorry, I lost my temper at you. Would you just hold my soda for a second? And apparently, <laughs> the t- apparently the teens took the soda, and um, the, he, this guy bolted, and um, he got his his syrupy revenge by sticking his by leaving his finger wrinkly as a prune in his own goddamn soda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, that's okay. terrible. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's a real fucking lame. <laughs> like, really. That's lame. Who's the real loser here? Yeah, seriously. Here's, he, here's another here's the real loser. No. So you're going to have to pick between these two. Okay. Another movie. Okay. This guy, he was dating his wife. My wife. Borat voice. <laughs> um, and what he says is she would lo- love just bug the crap out of me. One of her favorite things to do when we go to the movies is say – I just want to drink. I, that's all. That's all. And then when I would get back with my popcorn, she would say, psych. And then she would take a big handful of popcorn and go, nom, 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 popcorn. <laughs> so. Get a so, large okay. popcorn, fuckface. Yeah. Well, yeah. you could get a large popcorn or you could do this. Um, <laughs> so he goes over to the popcorn. You know why? Because I like being married still. So I'm <laughs> yeah. just going to yes. go with the buy a large popcorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you'll be disgusted by the end of this so uh they go to the movies and you know do you want anything just to drink and so he says i got my drinks and popcorn then it hits me she's already tricked me <laughs> nah this broad won't get away with it <laughs> i go over to the popcorn station put my normal salt and butter on it all perfect but i finish off by putting a huge dose of salt in the center like way too much I go sit and wait. The movie starts. I'm eating around the edges. And then the time comes. She puts a giant hand of popcorn directly into her mouth. And when she laughs at me, the salt hits and I'm cracking up. After that, she would just ask to share popcorn. Married 16 years now. Like, this is awesome. Like, what the fuck? I mean, revenge is great. These people are, like, both, like, sociopaths, but also just, like, fucking dorks, man. Uncreative and unfunny. Yeah. And, like... What are you doing with food? Just eat it. Yeah, I know. Like, oh, God. I mean, if you really, I, I would like go the much 
three stooges route, which is like if somebody kept stealing my popcorn, I would just like bonk the bottom of it while they were eating it and get it all over their clothes. Yeah. Or yeah. Or just like, I don't, yeah. Like somebody like just like spill the soda on the floor. So they all have sticky feet. You know, it's just like, there's an elaborateness to uh, like the first one. And I think the second one too. Elaborate in its stupidity. Yes. That's just like, like elaborate's fine, but the payoff has to be worth it. And in both of these cases, it's just like, you're a fucking loser, man. Yeah. Move seats and get two popcorns yeah. and yeah. like get, yeah. learn to play squash. Yeah. I, I, I cannot express how much I hate that person. I agree. Yeah, and would this- never, ever do that to my partner of nearly 14 years. No. Okay. But they both suck. Is they, the, they both they, like, suck. Yeah. Really. yeah. Yeah. No, they do. Especially because she won't just say, can we share it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, there there is nothing more annoying than like someone who's always like, you know, <laughs> who just always will never like, you know, always just kind of like taking a piece of I mean, that's kind of like older sibling sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, but she she thinks this is funny. No, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. She she also sucks. That's, but she's a loser. Yeah. Yeah. It's married to this guy. I, I think I have to go with the first one because as sad as it is, it doesn't fill me with like revolt, like, you know, just revulsion like the second one does. So the second, second one is also worst. Yeah. Two, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Just we like both. no, you're all, everyone's the asshole or whatever that yeah, expression yeah, yeah. is. Yep. Yeah. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, yeah. Don't write AITA on Reddit because it's, <laughs> you're all the asshole. All assholes. Yeah. Un, you're all unfunny assholes who think they're funny. And that is the worst quality in a human. Yeah. It's somebody who thinks they're hilarious, but it's like, oh, you don't know how to do the thing. Yeah. And you know who those people are? They're always people who go, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should have seen your face. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, <laughs> yep. So these are both terrible and loserish. They're two different flavors, though. The first is relationship related, and the second is, well, you decide. Okay, so we've got a boyfriend and a uh we got a boyfriend and a lady and they wanted to watch two shows on of their of their program on netflix they were going to watch two episodes but she finishes setting up netflix and he decides to wash dishes instead why did he do that well he wanted to game till, till all hours so even he wanted to have a clean sink to do so as a result they only had time to watch one episode before she had to leave so while they were cuddling on the couch, get this revenge. Okay. They only could watch one episode. <laughs> so <laughs> she only held one of his hands instead of both. Take that <laughs> exclamation point. Who screws around holding both? That's not how holding hands work. No. Like, that's that's how- <laughs> I got excuse me, I gotta have two sweaty palms during man mine hunter. It's not gonna work. Otherwise, and where does the where's the TV during this? Yeah, like, they're just like staring is, into each other's eyes. Like, I don't know. This is someone who relates to the world exclusively through passive aggression, and then is like always like you know pissed off that uh, people are like, "Wait, you were being passive aggressive?" <laughs> like I had yeah, no idea. Does, you know? Yes, once, <laughs> yes, everything is passive aggression, but but she doesn't know what aggression yeah, is. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is that. Um, this is also a person who doesn't quite understand um, uh, how to be a person mm-hmm. in the world. It doesn't understand some stuff. Um, the 
the title is bitch collie gets me fired so i wait for my time to retaliate happened 15 years ago so it's cool to still be writing about it online you know at that time it was it was normal you could do a little blue blue email joke so you could just kind of send around the office some banter it's fun you don't have water cooler email it's neat and so uh so eight people worked at this office and one woman was a total bitch and everyone hated her but in a british way (laughs) we're completely polite to her face (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read this part anyway one day i get an email from my friend with a video attachment called fart porn that <laughs> you opened the at work were, yeah yeah it was fun it's fun to send those things at work the vid was exactly what you would think it was people getting off to having others fart in their face quite funny i thought so i forwarded on to a couple select people in the office who I would normally send the more risque things to, deliberately not the bitch. Today when I came into work, the owner and my, oh, the next day when I came into work, the owner and my manager had my PC in the owner's office and going through my emails. Turned out the bitch was ba- had made a complaint about this email and I got sacked pretty unfair because I thought I hadn't sent it to her and this was by no means the dirtiest thing uh, that had gone around oh, the office. wasn't it? That's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of sexual harassment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Long story short, this guy engages in a secret but incredibly vague plan to get this woman fired for not liking fart porn. Vi- <laughs> Sorry. Video. And it's never clear the connection between the fart po- like. Are we sure that the are we sure that this person made the complaint? Yeah. No, there's no evidence yeah. of that. Oh. Maybe somebody on the actual fart fart uh, porn <laughs> email <laughs> list. Right. So anyway, he gets her he gets her fired and um and then has to explain on Reddit um what the video what again do a PS a postscript <laughs> and do a, a more explanation of what the video is. So that I take to be a part of the revenge because uh, the best revenge is a life well lived um posting on Reddit yeah, shit like that's this. Fair. Fifteen years after yeah. it happened. Um, so I, I mean I have to go with the first one as like because I this person just sucks generally. I mean the the first person sounds very annoying, like just like the most passive aggressive person you've ever encountered. But this it's like don't don't send fart porn around the office, Matt. Just like what? Yeah, what? I agree. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Anyway, I mean I, I think that's worse for the like sexual harassment angle. Yeah, exactly. Like the the, the second the first person sounds annoying. I mean, this person just yeah. sucks generally, you know, so. The first person also sounds like someone, if you had them in their life, you would just manage it by like not buying into any of yeah, their yeah. bullshit and yeah, taking you would, everything yes, they say at yeah. perfect face yes, value. That person is, it's like, yeah, that person is like the easy, I mean, you know, you're probably driving them into a homicidal rage, but all you have to do to like deal yeah. with it is just not, not ever rise to it, which won't be hard because a lot of times you won't know that you're being targeted with passive aggression, you know. Yeah. You'll be, yeah, only, ho- oh, but you'll know when, when somebody reaches out to hold one of your hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That that's one making more. a statement. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're in, I think we're in agreement about who's the bigger fucking loser. Yeah. And th- that's, that's the, I'm not going to say the video name again. I've had enough of saying it. <laughs> and thinking about it even too. So here's your last one. I'm skipping a lot. Um, but I think the thing that ties those two together is that these are both people who get get booted from people's lives constantly yeah. and have very oh, little God. idea why. Yeah. 
Um, it's all of their problem and not mine. People keep booting me. Yeah. 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 Everyone's mean to me. Okay, so here's environmental people. Environmental people. Environmental people are annoying. Uh, these hippies are always saying, don't use the plastic straws. And it annoys the normies so much. So you know how this guy gets his revenge? Ha ha ha. Every time he takes the dog out for a walk several times a day, he gets he he picks up random trash in the entire subdivision and any new trash he finds in fields. And then okay, here's his motivation. Here's the here's where the wrench comes in. Then when the hipster environmentalists try to shame him for using a plastic straw, he can ask, "When was the last time they picked up trash in their community?" and he can say he did it that very day. Then what are they going to say? Revenge. Being nice for revenge reasons. Being nice for revenge reasons. Uh-huh. This is a total wild card, real psycho moment. Um, this person's mom is a teacher of elementary school students. You know, some classes, a class from hell, class from hell. And uh, so th- she gets the class from hell. The second uh, the one's teacher- already worse. I don't even know what the rest of this yeah. is. And I already yeah. know it's worse. Yeah. Yeah, this is. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, OK, so th- the teacher has really bad gas. She had a smart dog and broccoli. Bad combo. Um, and all day, all day she was running into her back room to spare the children her farts. Her not farts. That's nice. And I mean, yeah, that's thought- thoughtful. Yeah, well, yeah. But they, but they were so bad still. They didn't appreciate the sacrifice she made tooting in the back of the room. So she – so they had been so bad. So she lines them up outside to wait for the teacher to come. And as she, she walks down the line and, quote – crop dusted them with the most silent but deadly fart you could imagine most of the kids were dramatic and held their noses but one kid yelled someone farted all my mom said in response was who smelled it dealt it and all the kids started blaming him okay revenge on a child with your fart which one's worse that's much worse yeah (laughs) also you shamed and singled out one given kid in front of his elementary school classmates. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely worse. And that's the, worse. This, the first one is just so lame that I can't. It's like it's almost like that. Like, oh, I'm only gonna hold one hand. It's like, okay, yeah, fine, go you for know, it. Like, so. Yeah, the genre. second. I mean, the first half of it reminds me a little of that. Like, I I think like amazing jackass sketch where they like it's the meter fairy and he just like feeds people's <laughs> yeah, meters yeah, and the yeah. cops keep being like, you can't do that. Yeah. 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 Like, Oh, yeah. you can't do this. Like really sweet. Yeah. benign gesture. Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it's a, illegal. It's a nice, nice way to a cab, bring it back full circle. Right Hell yeah. <laughs> That's full circle for you. Yeah. Um, okay. But we've got, we've got a lot. Yeah. B, B really won the day here. And those, in fact, were the um, – so they're all real, of course. But those were the ones that um, I found packed the most punch also. But the point here, really, was that all the answers are the right answer. Do something cooler. Yeah. Don't be a fucking loser. <laughs> Don't salt your popcorn too much. Yeah. Don't fart on kids. Don't hold one hand. Yeah. Just live your goddamn life like a person. Well, that's a great moral to wrap up on. <laughs> it is. And yeah. also get revenge on the cops. Put super glue <laughs> under their car door handles. <laughs> yeah. Don't only hold what don't only hold one of their hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Teslarsaurus. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Red Pod. 
and email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if, you know, it's really rare to meet a son-in-law guy. And I want to know about your gorgeous poet son-in-law with his amazing cool hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's hear let's hear from some let's hear son-in-law, from guys. son-in-law guys. Yeah, yeah fuck yeah. yeah. Our intro music is left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo is created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate and review and subscribe. And next week, the big lad, we're starting our two-parter on Herman Melville's Pierre. So thanks, comrades. <laughs> <laughs>